Sorry if the flow is a little weird tonight. Um, my youngest son, who was going to be doing tech tonight, was depending on a ride from his mother, and Pam is worn out. If you didn't know it, Pam was in Brazil this week. Um, and if you don't know it, I'm married to a very smart lady. Um, and she started the study abroad course for, for uh, speech-language pathology and cleft palate, and they go to Sao Paulo. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Am I pronouncing that right? They're not even paying attention to me. Um, yep, it's, it's Portuguese, so. Oh, yeah, it's not, it's not Spanish, is it? Okay. But she goes to Brazil every other year, and uh, she just got back today. Um, actually, I saw her, and she told me about the trip, and then she was like, I'm going to sleep. Because she flew out of Brazil last night at 9 p.m. and got into Chicago this morning at 6 a.m. And I don't know about you, but I think sleeping in an airplane is among the worst things on the face of the planet. And uh, so she told me enough of the trip to where I know the, the highlights of it. I know which of her students flirted with the 17-year-old um, student of, not student, son of one of the, uh, the physicians there. Which is funny because since he's culturally different... And he's six foot four. He seems a lot older than he is. And as a 17-year-old male, he loves it when 22-year-old females flirt with him. And then they all feel kind of dirty when they find out he's 17. <laughs> so it's always fun uh, for her to tell me about that. Uh, because she's like, yeah, these, these girls are like just flirting with him, flirting with him, flirting with him. And then they find out he's 17 and it all stops. <laughs> So, uh, anyhow, uh, Noah's not back there, so it'll change things. Uh, guys, we're still going through the Gospel of Mark, and we will be going through the Gospel of Mark, I think, for one more year, and then that's it. <laughs> hey, that's a good thing, isn't it? We're almost through. I thought you were joking. No, I'm not joking. One more year, I think. <laughs> we're in the ninth chapter. We've gone through it 58 weeks, and uh, so I figure another 52. Uh, so hopefully I'm not boring you too much with it. Uh, it is page number 714 and 715 in the Tapestry Bibles. Jay and I am terribly sorry. It's a lot of scripture tonight. and I Yes. Um, well, Jan has her own large print Bible. Yes. So it's, gonna, it's about to flash behind me also because I'm going to do that. Um, so here it goes. I'm going to try and do both of these at the same time. Actually... There we go. Thank you. Yeah. It's real complicated. One's an arrow to the to my direction. That's forward. One's an arrow towards uh, your sister-in-law's direction. That's backwards. And the one that's got a little star on it is the... Oh, my gosh. The top one is forwards. The next one is backwards. And the bottom one is the, uh, the laser pointer. That would be a lot. <laughs> Don't listen to your brother. Okay. <laughs> Verse 14. And it says the following. <laughs> if I'm looking at the right page. There we go. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And just so you know, this is Jesus, John, Peter, and James that are coming back. They've just been on top of the mountain. Jesus has kind of been revealed as God. It was kind of a, a bit of a, a freaky scene. We know that as the transfiguration. Uh, basically, Jesus reveals a little bit of his glory, and Peter does what he normally does, which is he opens his foot-shaped mouth, and he says something because he feels the need to speak. And it kind of comes across as stupid. Uh, that's what he does. But Jesus uh, picked him. And I'm very thankful for that because I relate to him very well. But basically they see him as God. And it is an awe-inspiring 
seen. And then they come back down. And the first thing that happens when they come back down is this. So basically, this is the situation we get mountaintop experience from. If you've ever heard that term, it comes from this scene that is just before this story. And they come back down from the mountain to a fight. Seems a lot like my life. Uh, These amazing moments. And then you come back to real life. And usually it involves paying a bill or somebody shouting at you. So, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, uh, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him, in, uh, throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. He asked, uh, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus uh, replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus asked. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was was uh, running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and dumb, uh, deaf and mute spirit, he said, "Uh, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed, uh, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him uh, to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this, t- this, kind, con- this kind can only come out by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to, him, to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant. And we're afraid to ask him about it. So I've told some of you this story before. But I'm going to tell you again. Whoops. I'm looking for that. And that's because you have it. All right. This was from, uh, from 2001. Uh, this is actually August of 2001. This is a photo of me and a friend of mine named Scott Berger. If you can't tell, I, I was carrying a few more pounds at that time. Uh, I would be the gentleman right there. <laughs> you don't have to respond like that. <laughs> Wow, that's really me. If you look, it, my wife can tell, I know, I, I had a few more pounds on. This was before I was running. This is why I began to run. Um, I, I'm hiking with this guy. This guy's uh, named Scott Berger. Uh, Scott was the parent of some kids in the youth ministry I led, and, and Scott and I became good friends. He is a DNR conservation agent for um, the state of Missouri. Some of the most fascinating stories I've ever heard have come from Scott, because as he puts it, Uh, Police officers don't always deal with people with guns, but anybody I pull over has a gun. Uh, So it's always interesting. But he was like, hey, Robert, you've moved to another city because he lived in Missouri and I'd moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana at this time. 
uh, kind of like to hang out with you. And then another friend of ours, a guy named Bart Pierce, actually I mentioned him, the, the deer hunter who's blind, that's this guy. And this was before he had, he'd gone legally blind. He's like, why don't we go hiking and uh, we'll take my kids who are old enough and we'll take Bart's kids who are old enough and we'll go up to the Sangre de Cristo mountain range. And Bart had had a heart attack, so he couldn't do everything that Scott and I were going to do. But Scott and I decided we were going to climb the highest peak there. And the highest peak there is 13,000 feet, 13,700 feet. So it's just below the 14 uh, peak. That's where you get the tall mountains in the U.S. other than Denali in in Alaska. Uh, But in the 48 continuous, the highest peaks are 14,000. So I'd never been up to a 13,700 foot peak before. And I thought, that'll be great. I'll do that. I was like, Scott, how, how hard is it? He's like, oh, it's not a problem at all. There's an easy little path that will go up. No big deal. Which is why, if you look in that hand right there, that's my fly fishing rod. Like, oh, yeah, there's some great little, le- little uh, lakes up there that we can go fishing in. That's great. So I'm mountain climbing with a fly fishing rod, and there's a, a fanny pack. I have a fly fishing fanny pack. That's the ultimate of cool, okay? And, and, I, have that, and I have that around me that's got my gear in it. And this is at the beginning of the trip. Now, there are two of us in the photo. That should tell you something else. Right. Matthew Pierce was the guy who took this. He was about 22 years old at this time. And apparently uh, his mother has some mountain goat in her somewhere because he was just climbing up and just going all over the place. And that stupid punk college student made some very difficult stuff look very easy. This photo was when Scott and I were together. And if you were looking over this direction some, we were about to climb up a rock slide. And Scott said, oh, don't worry. The rock slide is going to be safe. Do you notice where Scott is? He's behind me. Do you know the only person who had ever been to this mountain before? Scott. And he's behind me. And he's telling Matt, just go ahead, go ahead. And Matt's just climbing you know just like this just running up the hill stupid punk college student with part you know mountain goat in him it goes up and i am climbing up thinking this is nowhere near as easy as this should be and i get to a point where i realize i'm in serious danger but scott would never let me get in danger until i hear scott go robert this is a little more dangerous than i thought it would be i'm going to turn around and see if i can't find another route and the problem was, is that at this point, I was climbing up. There was a little creek coming down here, and there was a rock here. And I was doing this around a rock on the path with, with my fly fishing rod in my hand because I wasn't going to let go of that. Um, and, and I am doing that around the rock when he says, Hey, Robert, this is a little more dangerous than I thought. I'm going to find another route. And what I realized was, at this point in the rock, I was in over my head. It's, it's one of the few times in my life where I really thought, I am going to die. And the only thing I thought was, it is more dangerous for me now to go back down, because I can't believe I made it up, up that part, than it is for me to go forward. If I go forward, maybe I can get high enough for them to call in a helicopter and get me out of here. I, I do not get scared very easily. I was a youth minister in inner city Detroit, Michigan in 1987, uh, I, I have been to the former Soviet Union and been in slums there. I have worked with people who uh, had cocaine all over their face. I have seen people who had needles in their arms and it was still moving from the veins. It is hard to scare me. 
But I was at the point in fear where, you know, you're, I didn't even know your palms could sweat, but my palms were sweating at this point because I was just scared. My heart was beating. I was so convinced that my, my heartbeat was going to push me off this rock and I was going to fall down because of my heart. I was just scared. Have you ever been in over your head where you, you just know it's over? There's nothing I can do. Where, you know, maybe you waited a little, little too deep and you, you were thinking, oh, I can just... I can go a little further, and then you take that step where you realize it's over. I think this story that we just read is about two, one group of people and, and one person who is over their head and their, their different responses. See, I, I think... The story is ultimately about faith and trust, but it comes to us through, through two groups of people. One, the disciples who have an act of faith there, but then the other is the father that's there. And, and the situation is that they're both over their heads and they know it. I'll give you a second just because I don't know if you can see the mouse. It just makes me laugh. Mouse. Cat. Mice. Not very nice cat personification of evil so jesus says this statement he says oh unbelieving generation he replied how long shall i stay with you in regards to two people not having faith here and every now and then we'll hear jesus respond to a group of people saying oh you of little faith but the question really is who is he saying this to because the story involves two different groups of people. And I don't know about you, but the last thing that I really want to do is follow a God that I feel like is just condemning me the whole time. If I do something wrong, great. But if I, I can't live up to a certain standard because it's impossible, I, uh, no. <laughs> and this dad brings his son to Jesus for Jesus to do what? Yeah, to, to heal him. And please, 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 I, I know people who, who come from a certain tradition where every disease uh, is some type of evil spirit. I do believe that there is evil in this world. I believe that there is a spiritual realm that is evil and is opposed to the things of God. But not every sickness is, uh, is a spiritual reality. Please, I have been with people who, I have actually seen people who uh, were prayed over because they had a cold because somebody was casting out the demon of the cold. And it's like, no, it's a virus. I, I know people who have convulsions who are great godly people. This is not, you know, if you have a convulsion, it doesn't mean you have a demon in you. But at the same time, I've been around people that I was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt were possessed. And this young boy according to Scripture, was possessed by this evil spirit. Yes, sir. Possibly, yes. Possibly. Uh, there are times where someone says, uh, my child is, is, there's an evil spirit, and Jesus doesn't respond. In this case, Jesus does respond, so I would think uh, that there is an evil spirit present there. Because uh, the spirit responds to, to Jesus in this point. Does, does that make sense? What he was saying is, couldn't they have viewed something? Um, I, I think quite often, truthfully, there were some probably some psychological disorders where, where they went, oh, this person has an evil spirit, 
and maybe it was more a psychological disorder, and Jesus treats them. But in this case, there is the spirit responds to Jesus at this point, so I think there was a spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I think that's a great point. Uh, there's a guy that I really like who, who uh, does this story of healing uh, a demoniac, somebody who's possessed, and when he's acting it out, the person who is... Um, is relieved of these demons, he portrays this person as someone who has some form of mental retardation. And for me, it actually uh, makes all the more sense because Jesus actually treats this person as a human being. Why? Because they are. Because Jesus would have done that. But I know people who treat people who have certain illnesses and such as though they're just a pariah and non-human. I think Jesus not only cast out evil, but he also... uh, did away with some of the the repercussions that we put on it. Think of, uh, for some of us, you remember when AIDS came out and people were treated as though they were non-humans. I think Jesus' healing would have gone beyond physical to also social. But I do think one of the things we have to ask here is, who is Jesus talking to when he says, you know, how long do I have to stay with this generation of, of no faith? And there's only two choices here. It's either the disciples... Or it's the Father. I don't think it's the Father. I don't think it's the Father at all. The Father brings His Son to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus isn't there. And the disciples, I love this because they're like, Oh, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And they try and they fail miserably. (laughs) And nothing happens except for they get in a fight with some people who don't like Jesus. Have you ever tried to do something and then got frustrated by it? And you respond in anger? I used to have a 1974 Pontiac Ventura, okay? Great car, loved it. You probably don't know what a Pontiac Ventura is. If you know what an old Chevy Nova is, the, the Pontiac Ventura was the cheap version of the Chevy Nova, which was not an expensive car. That should give you an idea. I loved this car. The only problem with this car was that the transmission was going out. And so in the morning when you would start the car, uh, it would it would take like 10 minutes of warming the car up and then every now and then it would kick into gear and kick out and then kick into gear and kick out and kick into gear and kick out. And I would be starting my car and I carpooled people to high school. I got $5 a week to be into carpool people and this was awesome because it had bench seats. Okay, you with your new cars and, and such, you don't know the beauty of a bench seat. Bench seat is an awesome thing for a date. Oh, just awesome. <laughs> But for carpooling, it was even better because I could fit like 10 people in this, this two-door car. It was awesome, awesome. But when it would kick out of gear, I would just get ticked off at everybody else. They didn't have anything to do with that. I was just angry because it wasn't responding right. The disciples try to heal this boy, and then they get in a fight with the teachers of the law. Why? Probably because they were stupid, just like you and me. But the father has brought his son to them to be healed, and, and the son is just probably like you and I. But this dad cares desperately for his son. And he wants them, them to heal him. And they can't. I'll give you a second. So the story is that Jesus brings the man. And he's like, hey, what's going on here? And the man says... Teacher, I brought my son to you who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive him out. Excuse me, to drive the spirit out, but they could not. Now, in the Old Testament, there are a couple of different examples of faith. 
The one that quite often is used is Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith. Abraham was an old man who God said, I'm going to use you to, to start a nation and your children, as in not just uh, your personal kids, but your lineage will number as the sands of the sea. But he was old enough to where he did not think that he would be able to bear a child. And his wife, Sarah, was old enough to where she... Well, I said he would not be able to bear a child. Where his wife, Sarah, would not be able to bear a child. But he believed God. He trusted God. God literally says, hey, I'm going to lead you to this land that you do not know. Just follow me. And Abraham goes, oh, okay. I know people who are like that, okay? Here's the Hebrew thing. And if you ever look at the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it's kind of known as the hall of faith because it's all these stories of people who had incredible faith. But it says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he's going. And literally, while the story is long, it's kind of like, oh, you want me to go here? I'll go here. And I know people like that. I have a friend uh, in high school whose name was Tamsey, and she married a, a minister whose last name is Ramsey. Her last name now matches her first name. Her first name and, and, and last name together are Tamsey Ramsey. And her personality is exactly like that. Okay. Jesus could show up here right now and could, and could say, you need to sell everything and give it to the quick trip because they need the money right now. And she'd go, oh, okay. She's just like that. And, and she drives me absolutely nuts. Not because there's anything wrong with that faith, but because, well, when I first became a Christian, I thought that's what you were supposed to be like. Most of you know my story well enough to know I was not raised in church. I didn't go to church until I was 17. And the only reason I went is because my best friend stole his parents' car and took me to church because there were cute girls there. That was it. And everybody had these big Bibles and their Bibles had all this writing in it. And, and the minister would say something and, and we go, well, you all know the story of so-and-so. And everybody there would be going, yes, yes. Except for me, I would be going, no. <laughs> I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. And that name sounds fake. And people would memorize scripture. They would memorize scripture. Where every now and then, somebody would go, oh, you know, I had this really bad thing happen. And so-and-so said this verse of scripture to me and it just made everything right. And I'm thinking... Huh? Huh? None of it made sense. I felt like I was in over my head in the church culture. The songs sounded stupid. Everybody seemed to know them though, so that just made me stupid. It drove me absolutely nuts. And there were these people who were like, yeah, God said I I should do this. And I just went and did it. And I thought that was what you were supposed to be like. The only problem is, is that there's lots of stories in Scripture of, of people who do that. And then there are lots of stories in Scripture who follow God, but they don't follow Him as instantly. And God doesn't criticize them for that. See, in the Old Testament, you have Abraham who follows God just like, okay, you're, going, you're telling me I'm going somewhere. Great, I'll go. But then you have Gideon. Now, Gideon is a very different situation because Gideon follows God But the whole time he asked these questions over and over and over and over and over and over again. The story of Gideon starts off where the the nation of Israel is being uh, persecuted by the Philistines. And basically an angel shows up and finds Gideon hiding. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Wine press would be like this. You don't thresh wheat there because you need wind to, to blow through it. So he's hiding in a wine press 
trying to do work, trying to save a little bit of food so the Philistines won't take it. And the angel calls out, Hail to you, mighty warrior. I mean, he's basically looking at a guy who's a coward and says, Hey, you're a mighty warrior. And he's like, God's going to use you. And Gideon says, Well, how in the world can I know all of this is the case? And, And basically he says, If... And this is it. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So he starts off with, Hey, you say all of this good's going to happen. If this is really true, just wait, and I'm going to do an offering. And the angel waits, and Gideon comes and does the offering. And you would think, that's going to be it. He said, Hey, if this is true, let this happen, and we'll stop. But some of you know the story. Because then the second God says, hey, by the way, Gideon, I want you to do this. Gideon goes, wait, wait, wait. If this is really what you want to happen, I need this sign to happen. And what I want you to do is I'm going to take this this sheepskin and I'm going to put it on the ground. And my mind is going blank now, so guys, help me on this. Uh, I think the first time what he says is, um, I, I want to put this sheepskin on the ground. And in the morning, all the dew should be on the sheepskin and not on the ground. Am I getting that right or am I reversing this? You think I'm reversing it? Okay, because that's what my mind's blanking out a little bit uh, today. But it, it, I think you're right. I think it's dry on that and the ground is wet. Yeah, and he swaps it. And he goes, hey, hey, hey. Oh, go ahead, Jacob. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. All right. So, but what ends up happening is the first day, uh, the sheepskin's dry and the ground's wet. And, and you would think, oh, that'd be enough. He's asked God twice, hey, do this, please. And instead what happens is Gideon says, all right, if I found favor in your eyes, tomorrow make it the opposite. And Gideon's this wonderful story of somebody who's going to follow God, but he doesn't have it all together perfect. And I can relate to that. I can relate to that very, very easily. There have been things that I was sure God was telling me to do, but I wanted God to make it a little clearer. And the beauty is, is that, well, the faith I thought I was supposed to follow, Jesus would have chewed me out for that. The faith I thought I was supposed to follow, I thought was more about Tansy Ramsey's people who were just like, yeah, I'll go do this. Okay, okay. But that's not me. And instead, the New Testament and the Old Testament are full of people who follow God hesitantly, but they still follow him. We, we have the, the, the nickname of one of the disciples, Doubting Thomas, because he says, I will not believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead unless I can stick my hands into his wounds. And Jesus appears. And what does Jesus do to Thomas? Yeah, that's the beauty of it. He doesn't go, are you going to believe now? Because I would be very sarcastic. He'd be like, come on. No, he says, touch him. It's okay. Touch him. So this dad comes before Jesus and he says, I need you to help my son if you can. And Jesus responds with, hey, to he who believes all things are possible. And I love the father's response. I love, this is one of my favorite verses of Scripture because it makes perfect sense to me. I do believe, help me with my unbelief. There are verses of Scripture that when I read them, I go, oh, I completely understand that. 
There are other verses of Scripture where I read them, I go, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. But this rings true to me because I believe that Jesus can help me to believe. I believe that Jesus can do this, and yet at the same time, I doubt. I believe that He is the Son of God, and yet sometimes I believe, or not believe, I live as though I'm the most important person on the face of the planet. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ wants me to love my neighbor as myself, and yet sometimes I am a selfish pig. When I read this this passage and I read the dad responding, I read it as though he's saying, I believe that you can help me to believe. See, he was thinking. He didn't know what to do. His son was hurting himself. His son was killing himself. The, The spirit would cause him to throw himself into the fire. All he knew to do was to to bring his son to Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to the guy who says, I believe, help me with my unbelief? See, I love, we can tell what's important in the story because it builds up and then it happens and then something else goes on. Stories build up to a point. There's all this dialogue between the Father and Jesus that is building up to this point. And then when we hit this statement right here, Jesus just heals the, the kid. There's no more discussion. <laughs> build up, build up, build up. Hey, if you believe all things are possible, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. There are people coming, Jesus heals the kid. Boop! Like that. He doesn't criticize the guy for saying, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. He, he just does what the guy is begging him to do. Yes, ma'am. Well, let's talk about that. You're so good, Jan. Okay? Let's talk about the disciples. <laughs> okay. You're so terrible, Jan. <laughs> Let's talk about the disciples. Because he says, if you remember when we talked about this at the beginning, it was like, oh, unbelieving generation, how long must I stay with you? And I'm convinced he's not saying that about the dad. Because he doesn't talk that way to him. I think he's saying it about the disciples. Okay, The ones that are with him all the time and yet still don't get it. They ask him, and I love this, Okay, they ask him, we don't know why we couldn't do this. We don't know why we couldn't chase this demon out. And the reason they, they know they should be able to is, if you remember earlier on in the Gospel of Mark, he sends them out and he says, you're going to be able to do great things in my name. And guess what happens? They do great things in his name. So why can't it this time? And Jesus responds with, you said it, Jan. What did he respond with? Oh, Yeah. All right, I want you to think through that passage real quick. What's the one thing Jesus didn't do? Yeah. Jesus says, this kind needs prayer. Did you see him pray at all in this passage? Well, did you see anybody pray in this passage? Well, I would say the definition of prayer is talking with God. Um, and you can get picky there and say, well, he is God, so you're talking to him. I think it's fascinating that Jesus says this kind only comes out with much prayer. And there is no prayer that takes part in the whole passage. 
So what could that mean? What? Jesus cheats. <laughs> or maybe he prays a lot before that. Maybe when he says this kind needs much prayer, it's not about you need to pray a lot for this specific thing. But prayer, you said, you know, it depends on your definition of prayer. I think the biblical definition of prayer is that we are spending time with God. There's lots of different prayer that happens. Okay, there is, there is silent prayer. There is prayer uh, where you talk every now and then. And I know for some of you guys, this will make you feel very uncomfortable. Every now and then, I'll start out in silence up here. And for some of you, that's when God speaks the loudest. And for some of you, you're like, Robert, please, please, please start talking. Just start talking right now. Uh, I spoke at a church. I fill in every now and then for, for some other churches. And uh, I was talking about Sabbath. And at the very first thing when I got up to their pulpit, because they have a pulpit and they wanted me to use it, which was kind of odd. But uh, I sat there for a solid minute and just looked at my watch. Yeah. And then I stopped two other times during the sermon and did that until somebody finally said, what are you doing? See, there's lots of different prayer. But Jesus, we know, was a person who spent time in prayer. It's said over and over and over again that he pulls away to be in prayer. Uh, I had some friends who went to, to Israel a while back and they said, Robert, what would you like as a, as a, um, a, a souvenir? And I asked them for, for two things. At the time, I was collecting Coca-Cola stuff, so I, I wanted a Coca-Cola... I'm sorry, it's my southern accent coming out. Coca-Cola bottle, Coca-Cola. Uh, and I wanted some sand from the Garden of Gethsemane because the Garden of Gethsemane in the New Testament is uh, where Jesus is betrayed. But what he's doing before then is he's just praying. They ask, why couldn't we, we cast this demon out? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out with a lot of prayer. Maybe they weren't praying enough, not about this demon, just in general. And I don't mean by that some set time of, oh, most gracious heavenly Father, but a constant end time with, uh, prayer with God. Paul talks about that we will pray without ceasing. It is an ongoing conversation that develops uh, in your life because you are spending time with God. See, the thing I love about this is that there's two different responses here. The father brings his child to Jesus and if the disciples weren't praying enough, they weren't coming to God. See, I really think God loves for us to act in faith. The Father acted in faith, and He even admitted, I don't believe enough. Help me. And the disciples just tried to do this on their own. And when they couldn't do it, they got in a fight with somebody. Yes, ma'am. And to be honest, Jan, when, when somebody, 
I've had people who've been like, you know, Matt, my faith wasn't great enough. It ticks me off. Because, and not to them, I would never be like, that's just stupid. Um, well, actually, that's not true. There have been a few people I've told that's just stupid. Um, it treats God kind of like he's a banker. Now, if you put enough in, you can do this. But the issue is, I just told the story of, uh, and of the Garden of Gethsemane. I think Jesus probably prayed better than, than anybody. And he prayed that night saying, hey, let this thing pass. Specifically what he says is let this cup pass. And, and the, the cup was a symbol for wrath, uh, for anger. Uh, let this, this wrath pass. And the father said, no. Sometimes God answers prayer with no. Not, not in a terrible way, not in a way of no, don't like you. But I'm sorry, no. I, I don't think there's anybody on the face of the planet that the father loved more than the son. And yet he still said no to the son. Yes, ma'am, Robin. I do think Jesus heals people. But I also think sometimes he says no. And I don't always know why. Uh, what, I, what I believe from Scripture is that God is a loving God. I believe it with all my heart. But I don't think it's some wishy-washy love of just like, oh, he loves it. I love my kids. And there are times where I let them go through terrible things because it's what's best. Uh, now, I say that fully knowing there's evil in this world. Uh, many of you know that my cross-the-street neighbor, uh, well, they've moved, uh, so they're not my neighbors anymore, but their eight-year-old daughter died of leukemia two years ago. We prayed for her. I firmly believe God said no. Uh, It's not about whether or not our faith is strong enough. Jesus doesn't look at this man and go, your faith's not strong enough. He heals this child uh, for, for his own reasons. Yes. Some people will use that as a wimpy excuse of God's got something better. Yeah, it's it, for my neighbor, their child dying, still evil. I believe God is good enough that he can take that evil and he can make good happen as a result of it. But her dying, still evil, still awful. Um, God's goodness is just strong enough that he can always overcome any evil doesn't make the evil good. Does that make sense? There's a big difference. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, I know that sometimes when you go through a horrible experience, you know, it does seem that God is Yes. Yep. Many of you know, one of my heroes is a guy named C.S. Lewis. Uh, and uh, his he married late in life. And uh, basically, long story, you need to hear the whole story another time. But he marries his, his uh, this woman he's in love with while she's dying of cancer. And she goes into remission for about two years. And then she dies. 
And he, he gets ticked because he's like, why didn't you just let her die then? I, I, I wouldn't have experienced this joy. Now I know what I'm missing. Um, and what he said was that uh, pain is God's megaphone to reach a world to tell them how much he loves them. Not that the pain's good, but that for some reason we tend to hear his voice better in the midst of that. Does that make any sense? So, guys, before I end, any questions? I know this one, this was a bit of a different sermon. Uh, here's what I want you to know. When you think you don't believe enough, when you think somebody else believes more than you do and God would listen to them because their belief is there, um, God listened to the dad in this story. Jesus listened to the dad who was just open and honest enough to say, Oh, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. The disciples were the ones who thought they had it all together. Matter of fact, if you read at the end of it, he mentions about the fact that he's going to rise from the dead and they don't, uh, they don't understand it, but they're too proud to ask him what he means by it. The dad's willing to open up and just be truly transparent. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. God has enough people who think they've got it all together. He's looking for people who will really just trust and jump. So let's pray and then let's sing. Father, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Help us all to trust. Help us all to follow your son. I pray this in his name. Amen. Please, stand and sing.